Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can partner with us to reach others by investing at trinitysandiego.org. Thanks once again. Now here's Pastor Todd. If you have, we are printing these sermon notes on the regular basis for you. Uh, we want to make sure that they are in front of you. Uh, we've been in a collection of talks titled, It's Not You, It's Me. Last week, Katie, oh my word, she just crushed it. I'm talking about friendship. Um, she talked about friendship and the, what makes a good friend. And, and, and I just really believe that that was a message. I, I think you should go back and podcast it. We print these off so that you don't just hear the word, but you actually live it. Amen. What good is it just to hear something? You know, I have little kids. And this morning I got pretty frustrated with Carter because I had to, I told him to go find his shoes three different times. You know, like I'm like, buddy, just do it once. He's like, well, I'm playing with my airplanes, dad. I'm like, no, do it the first time. And I think part of it is that's kind of the way that we operate sometimes is we, it kind of goes in our ear and then we go for lunch and then we kind of, oh, we kind of forget. So I encourage you, take these, revisit this. Uh, I have a notebook actually that I was in preparation for this message. I went back from three years ago from notes that I took from another message that I went and I, I wanted to go and, and, and kind of see uh, in how, in, in how the co- a concept was working out. Isn't, the beauty, isn't that beautiful that you can go back and go and relearn something that you learned three years ago? And so I encourage you, note takers are history makers. So make sure that you uh, take notes today. Um, and, and I really want you not just to hear it, but I want you to live it. Uh, um, we are in this collection of talks and I'm getting ready to talk a little bit about family and I've, I've um, made this, uh, or I, I, God kind of gave me this word in kind of a unique way. Um, he gave me the, the word as I was preparing the message. Uh, I was doing Bible study with our kids. Uh, Katie and I, we do a Bible st- story every day with our family and, and we sit down and we read this little, the beginner's Bible and we read one story a day. And as I was reading this one story, it really stood out to me and it kind of jumped off the page. And so I prayed about it and God said, that's what you're going to talk about this Sunday. And so I said, okay, you know, because that's just what, it, when he speaks, you listen, right? When he speaks, you operate. You don't go, oh, well, maybe I'll do that in a month. No, I just decided, hey, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to dive in. And so if you're, uh, if you're going to follow along or if you, when you're taking notes, it's found in Luke 8, uh, chapter, or Luke 8, uh, verse 40. And this is... Uh, Jesus just got done, will also be on your screens, Jesus just got done preaching on one side of the lake and he got off a boat and he's coming to the other side. So he went from a crowd, he had a little bit of solitude for a moment, to another crowd because they were expecting him. And so here he is, he, he gets off the boat and we're going to read a lot of verses, about 16 verses, 14 verses, no, 16 verses, uh, but it will set us up today um, for this wonderful message Uh, So it says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Kind of looks familiar, right? Are you all sitting here expecting God to show up, expecting Jesus to move in your circumstance? Look at, we're one verse in, I'm already preaching. Come on. And it says, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. 
as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Have you ever been at a sporting event or a concert where you, or an airport where you are like literally like this and you're like, you feel like you're in like a sardine can, you're just jammed? I can just imagine that's how Jesus felt. He was getting pressed on every side and here he is just trying to make his way. He didn't have a bodyguard. He didn't have, you know, he didn't have multiple people around him going, clear the way. Here Jesus is, is just trying to go from point A to point B and he's getting crushed in the process. And it says, and a woman was, who had been there, uh, been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, uh, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, see, this is the thing, this woman, in this culture and in this day and age, if she were to go and, and actually touch somebody else because she was, according to Levitical law, she was unclean. She could not touch anyone else or be touched herself because of what was happening for the last 12 years. So she's living in this whole idea of isolation. And so if she goes and touches this man and doesn't confess to it and they find out, there's going to be some pretty radical consequences. So rather than, than her avoiding it, she just decides to face the music. I think sometimes we just need to face the music from time to time. We just need to stand up in front and say, you know what, God, <laughs> you, I'm, I'm going to get real with you. I need to take the mask off. Sometimes you need to do that in a connect group. We need to take the mask off and get real and authentic because you know what happens when you take the mask off? Barriers are broken down and chains fall because it no longer has power over you when you can say it. Because if you can speak it, you can manage. If you can say it, you can manage it. If you can't even say it, guess what? It's managing you. And I don't know about you, but I'm an overcomer and I believe I'm looking at a bunch of people that are overcomers in this house today because you need to say it. You need to be like this woman and say, you know what? I was the one that touched you. I was the one I needed to, and, and, and that's the fact is she wanted her healing and she would do it at any cost to have it. That's how powerful this story is. Okay, I'm going to go back in. Uh, let's see, verse 47. Then the woman seeing she could not go unnoticed. You ever feel like that? You, go, you feel like you can't go unnoticed? Came trembling and fell at Jesus, or fell at his feet. In his presence of all the people, she told him she had touched him and how she'd be instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, notice he doesn't call her by anything else but daughter. He doesn't call her by her issue. The enemy will call you by your issue. Jesus calls you by your name or son or daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came to the house of Jai or from, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were, waiting, were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. Wow. Knowing that she was dead, but he got, but he got, or I'm sorry, but he took her by her hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and once again she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. What a great story. What a great story. Today the title of my message is A Savior Setup. A Savior Setup. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. I believe that you set us up today for something special. 
And we're just going to believe and we're going to press in today uh, and see what you have for us. So, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight as this word goes forth. Open ears, eyes, and hearts to what you want to do in your name. Amen. I'm mesmerized by this story uh, in, in Luke chapter 8. The reason why I'm mesmerized is, is you have two different pictures. You have one picture where you have this gal that has had some pretty rough, a pretty rough go for the last 12 years, right? Am I right? I mean, she, there was the, the issue of blood for 12 consecutive years. That's a challenging thing because she was living in isolation. And I think oftentimes what we do is we focus on the miracle of the story, but oftentimes we miss the middle of the story. Everyone always says, God, I want the miracle. But what about the middle? So many times we want the end result. We want to hear after the testimony is complete. But let me tell you, when Jesus is in the middle, he's in the middle of our story. He's in the middle of our storm. He's in the middle of our victory. He's always in the middle of something, right? Is Jesus in the middle of something? Is he in the middle of your... And so we focus on this in peace. We often focus on the miracle when we read the story. We're like, oh man, that woman got healed. I want to have faith like her. And then we focus on, oh, he healed the, 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 the little girl that was dead the, you know, at Jairus' house, his daughter. He, we, we often focus on those two things, but we forget about the middle part of the story. The idea that this woman was bleeding for 12 consecutive years. The idea that Jairus' daughter had been sick, we don't know how long. It could have been for the last 12 months, but evidently it was pretty severe because she had to, like, like they were looking for a way for her to be healed supernaturally because they've, off, they've probably tried everything else. So here we are in the middle. So on one hand, we have this woman. And in that day and age, she was considered less than, not only because of her physical issue, but because she was a woman in that day and age. Let's just be honest. I don't believe that that's the case, but that's the way that they, uh, that, that's the way that, that it was, um, that was the kind of the way that it was set up at, at that point in time. But, uh, so she has this physical issue, and she was living in isolation because of what had happened to her because of this issue of blood, according to Leviticus 15, 19 through 30. That's telling us uh, the Levitical law. She'd be living in isolation that whole time. Loneliness, uh, like fed up, probably by herself, couldn't be touched. Couldn't, I mean, like, imagine that living a life that you could, I see, you know, people all, all around here, husbands with their arms around their wives, uh, people holding babies as I'm looking in here. Imagine for 12 years you couldn't be touched. Imagine that for a moment. We look at the miracle of her, but we forget that she couldn't be touched for 12 years. Or she couldn't touch anything else because of what was going on inside of her, the bleeding that happened, that sickness that she had going on. So on one hand, we have 12 years of sickness. But then on the other hand, we have this wealthy guy. He was a synagogue leader. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of power. He had, he had a lot of fame. He was just this guy that was an, an incredible man because of what he did. And he probably had all power to end up going and taking care of this situation. And he probably had a lot of money to be able to take care of it. So we have one person on one end that is really a powerful person. And then we have on the other end, this lonely and isolated person. This person probably was very well connected, let me tell you. He probably was connected within the community in so many ways. But this is what's the amazing thing on this, on this side. He had this little girl that brought 12 years of joy, and she had a sickness that was 12 years of sickness. So, I mean, imagine the, the paradigm. But what I'm reminded about is that we all have an innate need for a Savior. We all have an innate need for a Savior. No matter if everything's going good and you're wealthy and all is well, or if you're over here 
and you are poor, lonely, and isolated, everyone has a need for a Savior. Every problem has a spiritual solution. We have to lean into who the Savior is, less on our own understanding, and lean into His understanding more so. I truly believe that, 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 there is a, that there are key components that are taking place in this story that we are missing because we're focusing on the miracle, but we're forgetting about this joy that this, this family had over here, the laughter. I mean, I love my kids and how much they make me laugh. Don't kids make you laugh? I mean, my son's going to run in here probably in the next half an hour, and he is going to just tear this place up, and it's hilarious to watch him do it. He'll have his airplanes, and he'll be going like this. You'll, you'll see it. And then I have a daughter that's hilarious, too. She just has this little, like, I have a unicorn. It's amazing. You know, she's just great. She's five. It's so fun. And kids provide so much joy. So Jairus' house was probably filled with joy, right? And this gal's house probably was filled with a lot of sorrow, a lot of sadness, because of her limitation, her issue. And let me encourage you right now. Somebody might be in this room, and I'm speaking to the very situation that you've sat here feeling lonely, isolated, just filled with struggle. I've come to encourage you that there's hope. There's hope, and that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, and he can conquer anything. There's no giant too great that Jesus can't handle for us. We think that Jesus, like, has never seen a problem before. Hey, he's conquered every problem before. Cancer, get behind me. I'm telling you. Back pain, get behind me. I'm telling you. Relational stuff, get behind me, because we have a Jesus that can save the world. He saved us from hell, and now we get heaven as a result. Don't tell me that my Jesus can't save you, and Jesus can't save what your circumstance is. Let me tell you, be encouraged today. There should be joy in this house. There should be happiness in this house. I'm telling you, churches should be filled with excitement. I'm sick of churches going, oh, this is so good. Life's, life's such a struggle. No, I'm talking about life is good. I have a savior. I have a king that will take care of me, that will take care of my situation, that will take care of my family, that will take care of that, that financial issue if I put my trust in him. Because both of these people were just trusting. That's all they were doing. They were, she was trusting that she could touch the hem of his garment and he could be the, heal, the, the, the change agent in her story. What was this guy doing, the wealthy guy? Guess what? He's going to just try to touch and talk to Jesus because he's thinking, if I can just get to Jesus by my situation, by my daughter, everything will be healed. Both of these families, two opposite ends, but they have a need for a savior. You see, one suffered for 12 years, one blessed for 12 years. The same time frame, different story, both in need of a Savior. Both in need of a Savior. And I'm remind, I've come to remind you, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I just want to look at you all in the eyes and say, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. One foot in front of the other. You might have walked in here with some sick thoughts. I'm telling you, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. You might have walked in here with a challenging relationship. Don't quit. Don't quit. I love the idea where it says don't quit. You know, it also says do it in there. Did you, ever, did you ever notice that? Where it says don't quit, it also says do it. I think that, that half the time we need to remind ourselves of doing it. We need to actually go and do it. We don't, we need to stop deciding to quit. It's always too soon to quit. We have to make sure that we do it consistently. And so I, I just want to take a moment and talk about this whole idea of our family structure because th there is 
war that was waged in this family structure between the woman with the issue of blood because she was isolated. We don't know about her family. We don't know much. In my research, I couldn't find really a whole lot about her family, but I assume because she was in isolation uh, and because of her issues, she was probably by herself. Maybe she was a widowed uh, gal, but she was by herself over here. And we know over here that that there's this great family structure, joy in the house. And, but one thing I've, I've noticed is that there's war that's being waged on our families in this world. Let's just be honest. There's war that's being waged on our family. We're having families be split apart. There's been war being waged on sexuality, on what a true family structure should look like, what a, what a real family structure should, should look like. And I'm going to tell this right out. If the church doesn't start rising up and going, we're going to believe and we're going to declare war on families and we're going to take care of our family as the church and we're going to rise up and we're going to be a nation that's going to come together. We're going to say, hey, you know what? The family might be splintered in the world, but you know what? I know the thing that can change the game and that's putting God in the center of the family. That's putting God in the center of the family. And so what does that look like? What does that look like to put God in this? I love my little daughter. Uh, she loves uh, church. Um, she loves all things church. She can't wait to come to church. Uh, I, I, sometimes she inspires me to come to church. Let's just be real. Uh, maybe she should inspire some of you to come to church. Anyway, I won't go there. Uh, but I, I love my little daughter, and she's so great. And uh, I love our TC Kids ministry. They're amazing. Let's give it up for our TC Kids. We don't believe that it's child care. We believe it's leadership development. And I also believe that, that our, chi- our children's ministry, we're not training up the next generation. Let's just be real. We're training up the now generation because that generation is going to be what, what, we, what our legacy is going to be is if we put it on the kids. And so I want to make sure that our kids' ministry is great. And so I love my little daughter, how she loves to go to church. And they were in TC Kids teaching her something about church and family and all these things. And we, we got home and we, go, we always ask our kids, what'd you learn in Sunday school? What'd you learn in church? And Kennedy, so sweet, this is about two years ago maybe, and she goes, we go, what'd you learn, baby? What'd you learn? We're eating our tacos or whatever. And she goes, the church is God's family. If you, the church is God's family. And that's the true, honest truth. The church is God's family. Each and every one of you are God's family. The Bible says here in, Proverbs, or in Psalm 68, uh, 6, it says, God sets the lonely in families. Guess what? If you're lonely, if you're feeling by yourself, guess what? There's a church right here. You're sitting in this church that loves you, that you belong here before you believe, you belong before you behave, you belong in this house. And you belong in a connect group because you know what? That's a great way for you to be a part of a family. This is a larger family, but when I go and I sit down with my men's group on Tuesday nights, we have a great time together. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We find out about our family. We find out about what's going on. We don't have an opportunity to be isolated because we're together, right? We did a fitness connect group in here. It was awesome. It was so good. Uh, um, I uh, had a great time leading that. We had a handful of people here. Uh, If you want to get fit, come Saturday morning at 9 a.m. It's for any and all. This is not a shameless plug, but I want to encourage you. Get a part of a family, God's family. The church is God's family, and this is God's family right here. And God's designed the family to be together regularly, right? And, and, and we need to celebrate God's family. We need to be all together. And everyone has this need for Jesus and this family. And so I think that when you put God's family first, the rest is blessed. And when you put God first, the rest is blessed. Meaning that, that, that these guys that were here, this woman with the issue of blood, 
and over here, Jairus, what were they doing? They were putting Jesus first because they knew that their only healing could come from Jesus. And so when they put Jesus first, what was the result of putting Jesus first? The rest was blessed. Their da the daughter was raised from the dead and her sickness for 12 years is no longer. You see, when we put God in the center of our families, when we put God in the center of our life, there's a different dynamic that we operate in. There's a different operating system. You know, you don't put a PC into a Mac, right? The operating system would change. What you need is you need the right operating system. And God has given us a lot of words and a lot of pages as an operating system that we need to live by on a regular basis. And I think that when we put the operating system into place, when we put God's principles into, into practice, they work. And when we put God in the center of our family, in the center of our marriage, in the center of our career, in the center of anything that we do, guess what? The rest is blessed. Proverbs uh, 3, 6 says it like this. In everything you do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want that? So I have three simple thoughts. Number one, God has a plan even when you don't. That went quiet. You're probably writing down. God has a plan even when you don't. Look back at the story with me. The woman with the issue of blood, okay, has done everything she possibly could do. How many of you have ever had experiences like that where you've done everything you possibly can do? You've exhausted all your resources. I'm sure she went to any doctor. I'm sure she went to a naturopath. Or I'm sure she went to the nearest pharmacy. She tried to do whatever. She, did, she was doing anything she could. You know, don't be one of those people. You know, like, do you, would you agree, like, when you have a little sickness, you kind of Google it? Let's just be honest. You Google it, and you find out you're dying. <laughs> but you're, you're willing to do whatever you can to go and find the solution. Okay, my mother-in-law, she's probably watching. Hey, mom. Uh, my mother-in-law, we were at our wedding. We were at the, not our wedding. We were at my sister-in-law's wedding last week or two weeks ago. And my mother-in-law had an issue with her contact on that, um, on the day of the wedding where it actually scratched her cornea and she couldn't even see day of the wedding. Talk about stressful days, right? And she couldn't see and, and she was just, we were doing anything we possibly could to try to find the solution, Right? We were doing anything. We went and we were like, sensitive to light, turn the lights off. Let's Google it. What'd she do? You know what I mean? Like we're, we're do, we exhaust all our resources. I think that that's what happened with this woman with the issue of blood. She exhausted everything that she could do. And then she decided to go to Jesus. And you know what's interesting is Jesus' ministry hadn't started when she had the issue. Talk about a savior setup. Because when you think about it, Jesus' ministry was only how many years? Three. How long did she have this issue prior to? I mean, like, like at least nine if that was at the very beginning or the very end of his ministry. I mean, when you really think about that, her issue started before she met Jesus. Some of our issues start before we even meet Jesus. And what we have to do is we have to meet Jesus in order for our need, in order for whatever went down back here to change the game here. Same thing with, you know, when you think about Jairus over here, Jairus had 12 years of excitement with his family. Think about that little girl, what joy she brought. But think about the challenge that she brought with the last few months of being sick. I'm sure as the synagogue leader, guess what? He exhausted all his resources. He called every person he could. He went to, every, he went to the nth degree to take care of the problem. And finally, what did he do? He had to go to Jesus. I think sometimes we wait too long to go to Jesus. 
I think Jesus should be our first response, not our last resort. We often wait and wait and wait. Oh, and then I'll go to Jesus. We wait till the problem is so big, and then I'll go pray for it. We wait. What, what if we just made a habit to go to Jesus first? In any decision. Try it. Just try it one time. You know, even going to lunch, you don't know what... You, I'm, I'm, this kind of sounds super spiritual. I'm not this way at all. But maybe you should pray about where you should go to lunch today. And then who knows what encounter you could have at lunch that day, right? You don't even know what's in front of you today. The purpose is great in front of you. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to encourage you. I have a story. Come on up here, Lucas. Grab that mic. Let's get it up for Lucas. And, and, and maybe you're sitting in this room and you're tired, you're fed up, you've had, you've had to try it all on your own and, and it hasn't been successful. Or maybe you have it all together. You have everything together, but yet you still feel unfulfilled. Let me tell you, God has a plan even when you don't. So he, here's Lucas. Lucas is our hey, worship hey. pastor and youth. and check, check. He does so much stuff here. <laughs> but he's had some pretty amazing... Say hi to your mom. She's watching in Brazil. Hi, mom. <laughs> okay, you hey, want to say it in, 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 in Portuguese? Bom dia, mãe. There we go. Um, so Lucas is, has had you've had some pretty amazing victory recently. Yes, Talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, some of you guys may know, may not know. So when I was ten years old um, in two thousand six, uh, in February two thousand six, my mom got deported to Brazil. Right. So my parents came here in the early nineties with my sister. She was five, and they overstayed their visa, and that means you then become illegal in the country. And you know, and then they stayed here, you know. Um, and then 2006 rolls around; they're still illegal in the country. I was born here, so I am a citizen. I was the first citizen or person to be born outside of my fa uh, outside of Brazil. And um, yeah, and so 06 she was deported, and we've been on this journey, just trying to like legalize uh, my mom and trying to legalize my sister in this country wow. because my sister left Brazil when she was five. You know, when my mom left, she was 18. My sister is 31 now. So, wow. like, she lived her whole life in America, right? So, uh, and we were on this battle. And I remember when um, they seized my life. Yeah. I was probably, like, I was, uh, I was almost turning 21. Wow. And at 21, I was able to start the application and give res residency to my parents. Wow. Now, usually that takes, like, about a five, two to five-year process for my parents to get res residency, you know, through me once I'm 21. So they were like excited, yeah, be coming for you to turn 21, Lucas, you know, it's going to be great, you know, you're going to bring your mom back from Brazil, and my dad's going to be looking like. So there's a little pressure on you, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, for sure, you know, hair. like, yeah, I'm like, all right, God, all yeah. right, you know, and um, so we're in this journey, we're going through that, and it's still in the process right now, but I remember before this happened, my sister was really nervous, my sister was afraid, I remember her crying, and she's like, Lucas, like, like, mom and dad are fine, like, they have you, and they're going to get their papers. But when it comes to siblings, it's a much longer process from 10 to 15 years, 20 wow. years to, to, for them to get legalized. So if, you know, my sister had to wait that long, she'd probably be in her 30s, 40s. And, you know, and she, uh, and it's hard being uh, un, a uh, undocumented immigrant here, right. you know, and um, she couldn't go to school. She, she, she couldn't get into a gated community. The things you don't think about, like you can't even have a Costco card. Right. You know, and um, so, and I remember her just crying because she's like, "I don't know what God's gonna do, man." Like, like, like Luke is like, "You and mom are set, but wh what about me? What about me? What about me? I don't know." And she tried the options, and she she thought about, she flirted with the idea, like, "How about if I get married just to get papers, not somebody I'm really committed to?" And wow. and then she thought about that, but that was just against her her morals and, and who she thought she was and w what she believed what the Bible says about marriage. Yeah. So she she denied the idea and then she just kind of stayed faithful mm -hmm. praying to God and 
And um, about a year or two later, she meets this awesome guy, came from New York, and Dave, and they get married, and he, he's a cop in New York, and, and as soon as they got married, they started the application, and uh, last week, uh, on a Thursday, my, it's my, my sister left from Miami to Brazil to see my mom after 14 years. Wow. So... Uh, it's a huge victory for us, and uh, and uh, my sister just crying, and because my sister was 18, now she's 30, 31, 32 years old, and uh, seeing my mom for the first time and being embraced by my mom for the first time in 14 years, and the tears and the joy and just, yeah, man, it's well, just And the exciting. process is still ongoing, right? It's still ongoing. So, so it, it yeah. hasn't completed yet, no, no. But, but, but the idea that, that, that God has a plan even when you don't. Yes, that's right. That's like, right. Like, like, speak to, I think you got something in you to say about God has a plan even when you don't. For certain. Um, <laughs> we tried every possibility, you know, and that's frustration. That's right. really frustrated. You know, I remember when... Um, I remember, I remember when, when I was a kid, I'd pray all the time, like, you know, 12, 15 years old, hey, God, so I just want you to bring my mom back before the school year starts. Sixth grade starts, my mom didn't come. All right, seventh grade, going to eighth grade. Hey, God, I want you to bring my mom back, you know, like, before I start high school. High school comes, and I, my mom's not here. And then sophomore year, God, I want you to bring my mom before I start junior year of high school, you know, so she can see me playing football, and it's going to be great, and my mom's not here. And then kind of a point, I kind of got really annoyed and frustrated with God. I was like, God... Just bring her before my graduation. Mm. That's all I want you to do. Bring her before my graduation. And um, it didn't happen. Didn't happen the way I thought. Didn't happen the way I wanted to. And I was really mad. And I remember on my graduation day, I was like, God, I don't want to walk. Like, I'm not going. Like, I'm not going. I stayed in my bed. And I just like, I ain't going, I ain't going, I ain't going. And, and my dad came to my room. And he just sat there with me. And he's like, Lucas, like, I didn't think you were going to graduate. Mm. I'm like, geez, but I thought I was dumb. <laughs> He's like, no, no, I, I didn't think you were going to graduate because I didn't think I had what it takes to wow. raise you wow. by myself wow. without your mom. I thought I would have lost you, mm. lost you to drugs, lost you to this, lost you to that. I, I, I didn't think you would have been the man you are now graduating, serving at your church. Come on. I, I, I didn't think you would be this man. Wow. And hearing that changes my perspective. Because I know that I had to go on that stage, mm. you know, um, to show the devil once again that he can't defeat us. Right. Come that on. he can't bring us down. No yep. matter that in this season, it might not look the way I want it to be. Right. But, hey, it's better than what it is right now. And I know that God has a plan in our life. So, like, don't be discouraged if you're in this season Come on. and it's not all looking the way you want it to be. Yep. Just trust in God. Right. That's all. What else do you have to do? Right. What else do you have to lose? Right, right. Right. What else do you have to lose? Like trusting in God is yeah. your, your best bet, so why not do it? It's kind of common sense, but we human beings have a hard time with common sense. Right. <laughs> um, it's funny. But uh, so I just want to encourage you with so that. So good. So good. God has a plan. Even with, come on, let's give it up for Lucas. I want to encourage you with some scriptures. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Esther 4, 14 says, Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Romans 8, 28, And we know all things work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, instead He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, God has a plan even when you don't. Number two, have faith in the process. 
have faith in the process. Both of these people knew that if they could get, just get to Jesus, however that looked, that process, for one, it took 12 years. For one, it took some time. But if they knew if they could just get to Jesus, that things would change. They knew that all they had to do was get to him. And the process of healing, think about this, the process of healing for this woman with the issue of blood was actually death for the other person. When you think about it, because what happened in the story was Jesus stopped and delayed, delayed his circumstance in that moment to address the issue here with that had been suffering for 12 years. And in his delay, he didn't have the ability to go at the timely manner that Jairus wanted in the process to heal his daughter. But what happened in this moment is Jesus had power go out of him. He healed here. And I think it's just to the very, the very fact that it's more powerful for Jesus to heal a, a dead girl than a sick girl, right? That has some more weight to it, not just a sick girl, but actually a dead girl. So his delay was actually not denial of the blessing that was about to take place. And I think that sometimes we think that God's process, that delayed process is actually denial for what, for what the dream that God has put in our heart. But friend, there's a greater miracle that has to take place. There's a greater miracle that's on the horizon that's over here. If we don't give up, trust the process of God, trust the plan of God, because it's always good. It's always good. You can't, you don't just think because you're delayed in this moment that you won't actually have victory coming around the corner. That victory is right there and it brings dead things alive dead things alive and God wanted me to remind you of that that he brings dead things alive Psalm 27 7 says it like this some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of our God Psalm 910 says those who are uh, those who know your name trust in you for you Lord have never forsaken those who seek you friends I, I want to encourage you no one just arrives <laughs> Let's just be honest. We have unexpected pregnancies, but guess what? They take nine months to develop. No one just, that baby just doesn't arrive. It takes a process to get there. Your career, you don't just arrive. Let's just be honest. You don't just arrive there. It takes a process. Like I know when I was in my 20s, it's a lot different than when I'm in my 30s. And I know my 30s will be a lot different than when I'm in my 40s. I didn't just arrive. It's a process that we have to go through. Your success, your ministry. And you know what? Building a house, you don't just arrive. Uh, we, let me, uh, we bought a house, uh, Katie and I were, you know, we wanted to buy a house. Look at that thing. We said it was, Chris, we, we celebrated Christmas every day of the year, let me tell you. Don't you see the colors, people? That was funny. That was really funny. It's a, it's a Christmas house. That literally was the house that we purchased. That was the first home we ever purchased. And it was kind of the joke of the neighborhood. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Uh, and we, were, we bought this house, but we, uh, we found out we were going to have Carter, and we were living in that house right there, 632 square feet. Uh, Katie and I, <laughs> it's probably the reason we got pregnant, because we were so close to, anyways. Uh, <laughs> but we were, here we are in uh, this house, and we're in this, we're, we just felt like it was a blessing. It was our house. It was ours. It was a little piece of dirt that God gave us. And here we are. We find out we're pregnant with Carter. And we're like, where are we going to put him? In the closet? My mom would always joke, are you going to put him in the closet? Where are you going to put your son? Maybe the bathtub, not with water. That, we're not weird people. Um, and so we, we, were like, we were like, we don't know. We don't have the finances to go and build an addition. 
We don't have the finances to go and knock this down and, and build it back up. And Katie's father is a, uh, my father-in-law is a general contractor. He builds homes for a living. And we were trying to get wisdom and insight. And, and we didn't know how we were even going to pay for it. We were strapped for cash because our loan was too, it was too great. We bought it at the height of the market. But then all of a sudden, what happened to the market? It tanked and we still own that. Well, God still has a plan even when we don't. Because you know what? My father ended up passing away. And my mom called me and she said, she said, hey, hey, Todd, I have, I have some news for you. And I was like, what, mom? She's like, your dad had a trust. And I thought, okay, you had a, dad had a trust. What's that mean for me? I have a lot of trust in my dad too. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, no, he actually had a trust from your great grandmother that he had been getting paid out every month. And that trust goes to next of kin, not to me, but to you and your brother. And I thought for a moment, and she goes, it's for a substantial amount of money. So I'm thinking, God, you have a plan even when I don't. We find out we're pregnant with Carter. What am I going to do? I have no money to build that house. He was going to sleep in the living room or in the kitchen. We had no place. I'm telling you, we had no place. But God has a plan even when I don't. And it was the form of a trust that my dad had that was a substantial amount of money. Let's go to the next picture. It allowed us to build that. It allowed us to double our house in size so we couldn't just bring one of our kids home. We could bring both of our kids home to an amazing house and an amazing home because God had a plan even when I didn't. And I've come to remind somebody in here that you've walked in here at your wits end and you are stressed to the max. God has a plan even when you don't, but you have to trust the process. Trust the process. Last but not least, number three, to give you purpose. To give you purpose. Can you imagine how different their life would have been after the woman with the issue of blood was healed? Imagine that for a moment. You know, we talk about the miracle of the story, but imagine beyond that story. When God puts a miracle in your life, you don't just go, oh, well, that was good. You live changed. You live transformed. Imagine, they, even though Jesus told them to tell nobody, imagine how much their faith was encouraged. Honestly. Am I right? Let's just be real. The fact that he raised their dead girl... I mean, I don't know about you, but if my kid was dead and Jesus healed her 100%, guess what? I'd be pretty happy. I'd be pretty joyous. I would live life with a different purpose. And God takes our, me our, our mess and turns it into a message, our pain into a platform. He has a megaphone that he wants to get his gospel out. And sometimes our pain is that. Our pain is that megaphone that he can use. And, and, and last week we had Tim up here. Guess what? Tim has a little different glow in his eye. Because he's, he knocked on death's door and he knew how good God is. And he knows that the future is in front of him. That that pain that he experienced is actually going to be a miracle and a breakthrough in the process of what's to come. We have something coming down the line. I'm so excited. I'm not even going to talk about it because I'm going to leave it there. Pastor Bob, your cancer. Think about the victory that we've had in this house. The miracle and the, and the mouthpiece that Pastor Bob is. Because of... The, the, the enemy tried to take his throat, but he stepped on that enemy. And guess what? The miracle has changed and transformed to give him a greater purpose, to give him a greater destiny, to preach the gospel where the enemy tried to rip it away. That's what God wants to do. He wants to make your pain and turn it into a platform for his goodness. He's not giving you pain on purpose. It's the, par it's the process of you not just arriving, but your destination. You're going there. You're in process to see God move in your life. 
our pain will give us a purpose. Psalms 33:11 says, "The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, and the purpose of his heart through all generations." Friends, your pain and your and your 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 challenge could be the very thing that could change the generations to come because you're willing to step in the gap. And um, my dad, I'm going to close with this. My dad was an amazing man. Could you we put that picture up? Sorry. Um, my dad coached football at the University of Washington. And uh, on the sidelines at California uh, in 1993, we have another picture of him, I think. Yeah. Uh, go back to the other one. We were at the, I'll tell you about that in a sec. Uh, we were at, my dad was coaching football on the sidelines at Cal. And he had his, literally his heart exploded. Um, his blood pressure was 230 over, I'm sorry. Yeah, his blood pressure was 230 over 140. Uh, he should have literally died. His, he had his aorta burst. My dad was a type A personality. Uh, he signaled the offense so that the players could go and know what play to run. He prided himself. He never had to delay a game penalty in all five years that he signaled the offense. He, we would do it at home. I'd read him a, a play like Trey left. Uh, 20 ISO and he would signal it and he'd practice it and I mean just my dad's just this incredible guy well I was in sixth grade when my dad had his aortic dissection or a dissected aorta I was in sixth grade and I remember watching that game and thinking to myself what in the world where is my father because someone else had his headset on it said Corrigan and it wasn't my dad and we this wasn't the day and age of cell phones people this is a day and age of old-fashioned corded phones. No one had a cell phone on the sidelines going, where's my dad? And we are stressed to the max. And my dad ends up having this dissected aorta. There's miracle after miracle after miracle took place. He lost a kidney for seven days. It came back working 100% full functioning. And I think about, as I was preparing this message, I thought about my dad. And I thought about how different my life would have been if I would have lost him when I was in sixth grade. How that pain in those moments that I felt when I walked into the Alta Bates Medical Center in Berkeley, California, and they were told that my dad was in immediate surgery to save his right leg because he lost so much blood flow. I had just such fear. And I didn't know what was going to take place. But what happened was is my dad was a miracle man. His name was Miles. My mom called him Miracle Miles. And my dad ended up coming through. Well, we had 15 extra years with my dad on borrowed time. Borrowed time. Because you know what? I don't know if I'd be on this platform if I didn't have my dad experience that pain in that moment because he taught me how to be a man. He taught me how to persevere when there's trial. He taught me how to keep going one foot in front of the other. He taught me how to love Jesus. And you don't know what generation you will change based upon making one decision. And so that next picture, yes, I'm heavy in that next picture. It's okay. But that was on a cruise, one of the last vacations we ever took with my parents. But that was a time where we had an amazing time. And I like think back. That my, that my dad's pain didn't only give him purpose, but it actually gives me purpose because of what he said yes to Jesus as he operated in that, it changed the generation to come. My kids served Jesus because my dad was a miracle man and trusted Jesus with everything that was in front of him. They were, he was like the woman with the issue of blood that just knew if he could touch the hem of Jesus' garment, everything would change. 
He was just like Jairus where he, he could have said he had everything together by the world standards, but he just needed to get to Jesus. And I wonder if we'd be willing to take off the mask from time to time and say, you know what? I'm done with the fluff. I'm done with everything else. I just need Jesus because there's purpose in my life when I get to Jesus, when I just get to him. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes.